It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Strahda Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and deliver only through our website, blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Do you know what I'm going to say to you? It feels like summer out today. It really does. I ain't joking you. The temperatures... Now, it's only 12 degrees, but compared to what we went through last week for the week, oh my word, with the easterly winds and those low temperatures, it's positively summery today. And it does bear out what I said a couple of weeks ago. The 1st of February is the first day of spring. I went into my greenhouse today. First day in a while I had to open up the windows to let the uh, the heat out of the greenhouse today. It's a real sign that it's on the way springtime. So smile Feel happy today because look at the change there's been and it's something we should focus on as well as the days get longer and the weather will improve, that's for sure. And of course today, in case you haven't heard already, it is the 50th anniversary of decimalisation. Do you remember it? I do. I was 10 at the time and I actually can remember that time very well. The first day seeing the new coins and looking at them in awe from the old money. Do you remember the old money? Anyone out there still with some of the old money stashed in your house? Do you have the old money at all? Anyone got fardings? Do you remember the farding? Hapneys, the thruppence, the sixpence, a flower and a half crown, a crown. Have you any of that stuff stashed away in your home or even as keepsakes? Maybe some people have. I've seen them framed in the past as well. If you have any of that old money, sure, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me the show. If you have them, take an old picture of them as well and send them in to me on the WhatsApp. I'll be able to take a look at them as well. If you have any of that old coinage, surely there are people out there with some of it still. I think I think if an old sixpence or a thruppence stuck somewhere in the house, if I, if I went looking for it, I'm, I'm sure I'd find it myself. But I remembered, I was only 10. But it was a huge thing, a massive transition for everybody at the time. And of course, we changed a couple of times since, say, to the punt and the euro and different things like that as well. But this was a big day, 50, 50 years ago, on the 15th of February. Well, the 15th of February 2021, on late lunch, we have plenty of interesting guests and chat for you over the next couple of hours. You remember last week we were talking about 
uh, hair loss and restoration with an expert. Well, we're going to meet and talk to a local man today who had a wonderful experience. He's going to tell us his story on the show. We have Burke's banter. Yes, Sinead, her observations on life. She's with us again today on the show. Colm O'Rourke, he's never short an opinion. He's going to talk to me about the GAA and reform, the Leaving Cert and schools, such topical subjects at the moment. And we have an appeal. There's a man called David Dowling. He's missing. And his brother Alan will be joining me on the show. If you want to join in the conversation, don't forget the numbers. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show now. Or you can call in on 1850-715-958. Now, I know, and I'll tell you this from personal experience as well. This has been the toughest of years. For everybody across the board. Don't let anybody tell you that it hasn't been. We all in our own ways have experienced difficult moments because of the pandemic and the restrictions and not seeing our nearest and dearest, not being able to travel, out of work, no school. You know what I'm talking about. It's affected all of us, including yours truly as well. It's difficult every day to get up and get going and keep going. I understand that. And we've been focusing on this from time to time on Late Lunch through the last year. And you know something, a man I'm going to have a chat with now, he's simply brilliant. I did a wonderful series with him here on the show a few moons ago. He was a regular guest of mine at the time. He's moved to the west of Ireland since, but he's working away because he's the founder of Mood Watchers. He's an author, a psychologist, and he's simply brilliant. Shane Martin, welcome back to Late Lunch. Thank you very much, Jerry. It's a pity my wife wasn't listening. <laughs> Would that up the mood in your house? That <laughs> <laughs> was good to talk to you. Always good to have you. And it's just before we begin, you're the Carrie McCross, of course, you're synonymous with close to us here. You've you've moved west Sligo. Your heart is in Sligo now, is it, Shane? Yes. I kind of when you fall in love, uh, everything changes. Uh, I think a lot of us might know that already. And I fell in love with Sligo a long time ago, and it's a, a love that myself and my wife and family all share. So. We would have been flirting for a long time, and we've we've made a commitment. So, uh, a Cartman Cross man I am. I, I lived in Monaghan Town actually for nearly thirty years, and uh, we now have moved to Sligo, where I just I like the beaches here. I like the the artistic and cultural dimension to the place, mm. and the cafe culture and that kind of thing. And I suppose uh, all of that uh, sucked me in, and I decided that this is the place to be. Good on you, Shane. Chapter, Good you know? on you. And it's never, it's a real lesson in that. If you have a passion or a love, it's never too late to act upon. And I know Sligo Town myself, it's a beautiful, beautiful town. There's something special about it. It still remains tight and the, the streets and the businesses at the heart of it there are simply wonderful. And we wish you, we wish you well there. Shane, thank you for joining me again. Mood watchers, how did I not think of contacting you sooner? Shane, you heard what I was saying there. You know, it goes without saying, and you've seen it obviously at the, uh, cold face there this has been unprecedented absolutely and, and Jerry it's it's gone on and off a long time now we've never been in a place like this before um, like since it'll soon be a year uh, we're heading into March and everything changed last March and I suppose we've been through a period of immense upheaval and uncertainty like never before we actually can't even ring an elderly relation and asked him, how did you cope when this happened yourselves? So it's uncharted territory. And that's very unsettling because, you know, the spontaneity of life has gone and we can't plan anymore. And we human beings, actually, we like planning. Uh, we like to classify and categorize and we like to know what's coming next. And all of a sudden, we don't know. Even the people who are meant to know keep changing the script. So that's very new. And it's going on all day, every day. Um, 
COVID-19, uh, it, it's dominating all conversations, all forms of media, and you could definitely let it in on you, as my father used to say, yeah. uh, very easily. And we have to be very careful because our health is more important than ever, particularly when we're under pressure and we need to protect it. Now, you say that people underestimate our own abilities to be resilient at this time, that there's something deeper within all of us. Talk to me about this. Yeah, I think a mistake that my own profession, psychology, made, and it wasn't intentional, but it did obsess itself with illness at the expense of truly understanding wellness. So, you know, when you go into a psychology section in any library throughout the world, over 90% of the books in that section are about what's wrong with human beings, what caused it and what to do next, like deficits, disadvantages, disorders, diseases. And between myself and yourself, everybody wants to know what's wrong with them. Yes. <laughs> so there's a waiting list, there's yes. a queue, and I often meet people who want to know if there's more wrong with them than they think. <laughs> and uh, I think that bias, that negative bias, uh, like we always do need to know what's wrong before we can put it right. And we do need evidence-based strategies to help people who fall into troubled times. And thank God for that science. But there are people on the planet, and there always have been since the beginning of the time, and they actually don't take a hit when things go wrong for them. They stay standing when the storms come. They can keep themselves together when the world seems to be falling apart for them. And I think the mistake we made is we forgot to interview those people up until about 32 years ago, the people who defy the odds and achieve greatness despite adversity, you know, uh, heartbreak, misfortune, famine, war. Uh, like, for instance, World War II, uh, there were thousands of people who survived the concentration camps of World War II, and they lived long, happy, successful lives anyway. And I think science can, uh, you know, explain the positive as well as the negative, and you can sow the seeds of mental wellness with psychology as well as understand mental illness with it. So, Shane... This is within all of us, and you believe that we can take learnings, and we should take learnings and talk more about these people and try and delve into what they uh, have. Yeah, because there are people who have this inbuilt resilience, and there's different theories about it. Uh, It could be their personality type. Um, Like, there's a huge part of your personality, up to 50% or so, according to some studies, which is genetic. It's predetermined. It could be your great great grandfather in you, it could be your mother in you. Uh, you know, that's 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 fifty percent. But there's another fifty percent that's changeable. So like I've been blessed to meet these people, you know, people who've come through even periods of immense hurt and trauma. Uh, and they might decide to go for promotion in their job. And there could be other people around the lo- locality wondering why they even want to go back to their work. Um but these people seem by their very nature to do all the right things. They in fact, often when I speak to them, they're fascinated with me because I'm fascinated with them. And you can copycat their ideas. And the good news I have for the listeners of uh, LMFM is that very simple things make a huge difference in a, in a world that has become far too complicated, in my own opinion. Like what, Shane? A couple of examples. Well, I'll give you a couple of examples. Again, these are not my ideas. These are taken from the best science worldwide. In other words... Uh, the science of the survivor, uh, the people who defy the odds um, and achieve greatness despite setbacks and misfortunes. And resilient people are exceptionally good at being emotionally aware in that they can express their emotions and they can articulate them and they can even recognize uh, emotions in other people. Now, some of us are exceptionally bad at that. 
Um, and it serves them in good stead because a resilient person never panics, Jerry. Um, some of the worst decisions are made solely because we're made at the worst possible time. Like, for instance, I would have met people who left jobs that they should never have left at all. And the gas thing is that if they were talking to you and me over a cup of tea, they might even say, I don't know why I left that job, the more I think about it. And what happened there is that person left their job when they were emotionally distressed, when they couldn't think straight. So it is possible that even some businesses uh, closed down too quickly uh, six or seven months ago, uh, in that you know, other businesses decided just to keep the ship afloat. Uh, they even decided you know, that we can't look at even making a profit this year, but we'll keep our, our ship afloat in the meantime. But other people were terrified of the uncertainty and upheaval, I may have closed down too quickly. Um, so I think that emotional awareness is massively important because often the worst decisions are made because they were made at the worst possible time. And I definitely believe sometimes the best decision you could make is to make no decision at all for the time being. And consultation is something which resilient people really love doing. Uh, like most people who came to me when I was doing one-to-one uh, therapy were people who wanted to know what was wrong with them and they, they wanted to know when they would be feeling better again uh, and you know when they would leave the darkness behind and like I could help them definitely but the same things don't affect people in the same way I was always acutely aware of that because um, like someone might tell me in a therapy session that redundancy um, you know, was the cause of the hit they took or a relationship breakdown was the cause of it or you know, a physical diagnosis or a bereavement. And I'm always interested in those theories and we can explore them. But not everybody who experiences hurt or redundancy um, or physical diagnosis it develops mental illness. So I'd always be conscious that between any life event and your or my or anybody's response to it, there's actually a space there. And emotional awareness allows us to, you know, to be very careful and to consult. And like maybe one in every three or hundred or so would come to me and they'd say to me something like, there's actually nothing wrong with me, Shane. I just wanted to talk to you about something. And I was always intrigued by this. Um, and they'd sit, me, sit down and I said, are you sure there's nothing? And they might say something like, I'm thinking of leaving my job and it's a very big life decision. And... And I'd say, and are you rushing this or not? And oh no, they say I'm talking. I'm talking about about it to my husband and my sisters and my colleagues for the last year. Uh, and I said, why are you coming to me about it? And they might say something like, well, I'm afraid maybe that they might be telling me what they think I want to hear, or indirectly they might be humouring me. And you don't know me from Adam, so I just thought it might be no harm to speak to someone who's neutral and objective. Now that to me is a resilient person, someone who's yeah. pressing the pause button, someone who's consulting someone who doesn't just want to be told what they're thinking, and someone who appreciates different viewpoints. Um, so that, that's one massive trait in resilient people. Okay, and that's, uh, there's a lot in that there, and a lot of connections as well mm. to ponder upon, but uh, it, it, makes, it makes real sense. But you would say to people listening today, go and look or research or look up or read or listen or whatever to people who, you know, who've come through, who, who, who have shown this resilience, this ability to cope. Yes. And not only that, but I'd say also to, to nip yourself and to remind yourself that uh, we're all in this together. Um, like this pandemic has brought us closer 
to the fire of a reality that's been there since the beginning of time. And that reality is that we don't go from the earth and that there's never anything definite about the future. Like, the best paid plans don't always work out. Uh, your greatest friend can let you down. And the people who are meant to get the job don't always get the job. So that's always a reality. And we should have been trained uh, and we should have been given the toolbox when we're in school uh, how to, you know, trained how to cope when things happen to us that we don't want to happen. And we should have learned from the people who are better at this. Um, and empathy is another trait of the most resilient people in that they, it's incredible. They actually see beyond themselves. And anyone who's listening to me now who feels terrified or anxious or worried, uh, like we're all in the same boat. Like we all have good days and bad days, including myself. And you alluded to this at the beginning of the show. You know, like, I, like there's times when, you know, this gets on top of me. Like if you, for instance, like, I haven't spoken to a live audience since last March. I nearly feel I'm like one of the musicians at this stage. Mm. And I feel so sorry for them. But, you know, I've had to adapt to, to Zoom and things like that because I had to. But um, I still feel sorry for everybody else in my family because we're all under pressure. Like I have a 21-year-old son who's in university. He's in an apartment with another fella. And, uh, that, and he's on Zoom all day, every day. The canteen's closed. Uh, there's no social life. There's no lectures. And that's, that's not... Like, he has to mind himself. So I feel sorry for him. And I feel sorry for my family, other family members and friends. And resilient people actually uh, reach out and help other people in crisis. And that's an incredible trait that's shown in the science. And that, like, I've met people, for instance, who have been dealt a huge life hurt, maybe the loss of a partner, husband or a wife, and the resilient person that has experienced a crisis like that sometimes might start a bereavement support group because they want to teach others or help others deal with the pain they had and to be wiser because they can give their wisdom to that person. So I think, you know, when we sit in the darkness, um, the most important thing is never to convince yourself that you're in the worst case scenario. Because no matter what any of us are going through at any given time, the reality is that you don't have to walk very far to find someone going through something similar or a lot worse than you. And I mean that in the kindest possible way. So exclusive rights for stress is not the way to go. Um, like I was saying this to leave inserts recently, that of course it's dreadful for them and that they, you know, they don't know what way it's going to work out if it's predicted grades or if it's going to be a mix or if it's going to be examination halls and you know, all the classes they missed and all that kind of stuff. But like I was saying to the leave inserts, you could have a, a, a brother or sister in primary school who's struggling with spellings. And I said, uh, it might be no harm to sit down for 10 minutes with them and and show them you know, how to do their spellings because... You know, that's their crisis. That's their challenge. And the in, remarkable thing is that that kindness is its own reward chemically. Because when you reach out and help a fellow human being, you secrete your own natural antidepressants and your oxytocin levels, the happiness hormone, elevate throughout your body. So it's actually nice to be nice, but it's also good for you. And when you help other people, you can also put your own worries into better context. And I think that's no harm in the current climate at all. Do you know? Yeah, oh, look, there's wonderful advice there you're giving by the new time. Why haven't I spoken to you sooner? Shane, I have to leave it there for today. If you don't mind, we may touch base again. I'm sure, not going I'm to leave it so long. Yeah, oh, you're yeah. top man. And Mood Watchers is the website, Mood isn't Watchers it? Mood Watchers is the website, Jerry.
mood watchers and... And, and, and there's a section called Need Help there for people who might need something more personal. There's loads of support and available counselling, free counselling and all kinds of things in that section for people to click on. Great stuff. Shane, thanks a million. All right, Jerry. Talk ahead. again soon. Bye-bye. 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 That's Shane Martin there from Mood Watchers is the name of the website. Getting your pictures of the old coinage and notes. Talking about it in a moment. I'm just looking at an image sent in to me here by a listener and it says, There you go, Jerry. I have a few old coins, but I thought you might find these notes very interesting. We got them as a wedding present in 1984. And there's three notes here. There's the one pound note. Do you remember the green one with the... Uh, there was a, a lady on it. I can't think of her name. The green, the green one pound note. There's a ten pound note. Ten pound. And listen to this. There's a hundred pound note. Hundred pound note, nineteen eighty four. A lot of money, wasn't it, at the time? Thank you so much. If you if you wanted to come on and have a chat with me, just let me know as you're sending me in your pictures. There's Anne in Kells. And well done to you. Sent me a picture of all the old coins. Yes, the horse. Is he on the two shilling there? There's a horse, there's a chicken on one, a pig on another, a little rabbit. I know the rabbit. That was Truppence. A rabbit and a hare. One was sixpence, one was threepence. They're the old coins there. And they're lovely. Thank you so much. Have you old coinage? Send me in the pictures. WhatsApp me. 086-1800-658. We were talking to Shane about resilience, inner strength. Well, if one song sums up what Shane was talking about, it just has to be Labby Seafree. Something inside. Labby Seafree. Remember, we all have something inside so strong. Jerry, that man makes sense. And yes, we did take everything for granted. I can relate to what he's talking about. We are all in the one boat. But if we sit back and think there are people who are living like we are for all of their lives and they don't have a choice. It is the cards they were dealt. My way of looking at the strange times is uh, to keep your mind busy. Don't listen all the time to the news. Once a day is enough and then go about your day as I can only speak for me. But I have a house, etc. Some don't have the privilege. Try new things. Thank the universe for each day. I am a survivor of many, many things in my life, but I'm grateful for everything. Thank you indeed, Mairead, for that message to late lunch today. Sums up indeed what Shane was talking about. Uh, Lady Lavery, yes, Lady Hazel Lavery. Thank you very much for pointing out that that was the lady on the notes of the old money. Eamon was just saying to me he remembers as well uh, seeing the new money. His dad had it uh, in Dundalk on Clambrassel Street, and he showed it to him when he came home from school. And I can still see what Eamon was telling me about there on the uh, on the break, the shininess of the new money on that day fifty years ago. Listen to this, folks. 1971-2021. Well, I throw out a few little comparisons to you when the conversion happened from the old to the new money. In 1971, are you listening, boys? Well, girls too. A pint cost 17 pence in new money in 71. Today, on average, €4.96. 20 cigarettes, 27p in 1971. €14 Euro today. A slice pan. 12 pence for a slice pan in 71. €1.40 on average today. And a bag of chips. Now, here's one for you. You know the old bag of chips? 7.5p in new money in 71 February. Today, €3 on average. Quite a change, isn't there, over the times? Yes, there certainly is. Do you know what I did the weekend? I went mad. I made loads of pancakes. Now, tomorrow's Pancake Tuesday, and I'm sure we'll be chatting about it. But I made pancakes the weekend, and with a little twist. 
I normally love them, as I said to you, thin with the sugar and lemon. But I made savoury ones the weekend. Yes, pancakes, thin pancakes, lovely cheese, grated, ham. Cook it on one side, flip it over. Then, while the second side is cooking, put on your little bit of cheese, your ham, roll it over then, give it another minute in the pan and everything melts into each other. Oh, my God. You'd eat them and never stop. Beautiful, beautiful savoury pancakes. Really love them. But we'll talk more about pancakes and the making them on the show tomorrow. Tomorrow is Shrove Tuesday, of course. And it is Pancake Tuesday. And a great day and a celebration day it always is. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Monday afternoon. Thank you to everybody who mentioned Hazel Lavery as being on the old notes. Hi, Jerry. On the half crown was a horse, a salmon on the two shillings, a bull on the shilling... And I think a hare on the threepenny bit and a greyhound on the sixpence is Geraldine. Enjoying the show this afternoon. Lovely to hear from you, Geraldine. Welcome to Late Lunch on LMFM Radio if you're just joining us this afternoon. Now, he is the principal of St. Patrick's Classical School in Navin. He's a well-known GAA pundit, All-Ireland winner, you name it. Yes, Colm O'Rourke. He's joined me a number of occasions over the years here on the show. And a little earlier today, I caught up with Colm. Now, he's going to talk in a few moments about the leaving cert hot topic at the moment and the returning of schools and students but first he began teasing out his views on the reform of the GAA Well I suppose I'm calling for the same thing and a lot of people will feel that he's banging this drum long enough that he should start keeping quiet but I think that Mm -hmm. population movements that have taken place over the last 20-30 years and the future projections for population would suggest to me and you very strongly that that there needs to be more than one team in Dublin maybe three or four teams uh, into the future and that uh, a lot of the county teams are uncompetitive in the present structures and there needs to be radical change and I suppose I could also add that I'm not the first to do this in 2002 there was a review committee which had three presidents of the GEA either present or future of the time Sean, Sean Kelly, uh, Sean McCaig, Christy Cooney, no, not Sean Kelly, Peter Quinn. And they came up with the idea that Dublin was to be divided at that time and was supposed to have underage, more than one underage team immediately and uh, two senior teams by 2005. And in return for that, of course, Dublin got a huge injection of money. So they took the money and, well, of course, there was never any uh, uh, extra team. So... Uh, I think they invested the money very wisely and Gaelic Games are very successful in Dublin and I would think that they need to be even improved upon in terms of financial input. But everybody else has got left behind. So the train has left the station, I'm afraid. And it's a massive issue for the GAA when it is so lopsided at, at the moment. Are, you spoke to me in the past about it as well. The Talton Cup we know is coming this year. Uh, but, you know, you're a real advocate, aren't you, of the senior inter-county, inter-county scene reflecting the club way it's done. Senior, intermediate, junior. Absolutely. And uh, I think uh, uh, it's a, a dreadful criticism of the GAA that a lot of players are growing up and playing in what, could be called weaker counties for want of a better word and never ever get the opportunity of actually playing Crow Park the dream that most young people would have and there just by virtue of a place of birth or living uh, a footballer maybe a very good footballer is consigned to living out their career 
down at the bottom and never getting a chance to play in big matches anywhere. So I think that needs to be rectified. I think it needs it needs radical overhaul and uh, I think the provincial system has uh, probably stood in the way of making improvements. Like Counties are good structure for running club competitions. I'd always advocate that. But they're not the best structure for having a competitive championship between counties because realistically... Uh, the population imbalances are going to get worse. I think that the projection for the Dublin population by 2035 would be about 1.8 million. So, like, you don't have to be a genius to figure out if there's 1.8 million and there's a fairly well-organized structure in the city, you're going to have a dominant team. Like, the dominance of Dublin is not the cyclical nature that we experience with Kilkenny hurlers or Kerry footballers. This is here to stay in its present form. And uh, while we all welcome the development of Gaelic Games in Dublin, if you don't have a competitive championship, you don't have really a structure at all. And I think that uh, more and more we're going to have a very elite group of five or six who will dominate the championship. Now, people will say, well, sure, it wasn't much different. Well, that wasn't accept- it shouldn't have been acceptable in the past either, and people should have done something about it. But... Uh, I think clubs in Dublin have got too big. They're not able to cater for their numbers. And I think the Dublin County has got too big. And there are thousands of very good players at both underage and adult level who never get an opportunity to play at the top. So I think I would like to see a lot of change. Yes, and of course there would be movement, as you've always said, upwards and downwards between the three levels at inter-county level. But here's the thing, Colm, and it applies not just to Gaelic games, it's the same in soccer and rugby. The ones at the top, the elite, don't want to see change happen. They're quite happy to continue doing what they're doing. Yes, and, and I often wonder why have all the weaker counties not banded together at some time over the last hundred years and said that this system is not acceptable, that we are going to be put into a structure where we get one game a year or two games a year, where we are going to be beaten all the time, where our top players never get to experience any type of success, where we never get to go to Crow Park. Like, how many counties have actually played in Crow Park in championship football in the last uh, five years and it's it's very few and uh, I think that's wrong and just because it's something that happened in the past I think it, it needs to be rectified it's, uh, uh, GA is not a capitalist organisation or should not be, it's more a socialist, it should be for the people and give equal opportunities at the various grades to all teams and to all players you make great points. Let's leave sport for a moment. and uh... Somebody will start thinking he's, he's, he's the Karl Marx of the modern Nero and he mightn't be too acceptable to a lot of people. No, I'd say there's an awful lot of people are on your side and you've just got to keep banging that drum because if you don't, well, it'll be uh, if the status quo will remain and unless it's questioned and continually questioned... There's very few people seem to ever take up the, mm. the, that sort of thing. I'm mm. very disappointed that there's not more people... Who, who would just say on the basis of fairness that something has to be done. Like, you know, it's purely a question of fairness. If the same teams were dominating a championship in the county, there'd be some changes made. But everybody just seems to shrug their shoulders at county level and say, well, sure, look, this is the way it is.
In my view as a sports man, I just think it's boredom when it's the same year in, year out, no matter what sport you're talking about. It's the coming up of others, the improvement, the challenge to the elite. That's what sport is all about, Colin. Uh, absolutely. And, and you look at the sort of... Uh, the high that a lot of people got when Leicester won the Premiership yes. a few years ago. Like, you need something like that. I don't see that sort of thing. Uh, Leeds from our Longford are loud. And maybe people are going to start including Mead or Wexford or Waterford or Clare or Limerick or Sligo. Like, none of these teams are, are going to be playing in Crow Park in an All-Ireland semi-final or final in the foreseeable... In the, in my lifetime, I don't see it anyway. I hope you're listening in those counties and more, and take up uh, <laughs> take up the cause here with Colm O'Rourke. Look, let's move from sport to education, and of course, you are principal of the wonderful St Pat's Classical School in Navin. Can I ask you, like schools broke for Christmas, and look at all hell has broken loose with this COVID since right decision to leave uh, the teaching online. Well, I, I, I was always one of these advocates of getting the lads back in school, but I thought when the minister came out with the decision after Christmas and the rates were six, 7,000 and trying to open schools, I thought it was the wrong decision at that time. And uh, uh, most unusual for me, I even supported the unions, which is a fair leap of faith for me to take. But it, I, I certainly thought it was the wrong thing at the time. But I just think that we need the schools open again very soon. I was hoping that there would be an announcement this week that we'd have the leaving certs back on the 22nd of February. Really and truly, you know, this, this is not good for anyone. Uh, young people are struggling at home. Their parents are struggling. Uh, we need to get them back to school quickly. Their mental health has been affected. We need, we need schools open. We need sport back. We need all the other activities as well, as safe as possible. I know people would say, well, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that. But I think, you know, there's a balance to be struck here between the public good and health. And, uh, you know, you, you're guarding against maybe some type of health. But I think this lockdown is is now just more or less at, at the end of people's tolerance I, I see us beginning to struggle a bit with engagement at school, even though it's been really excellent and our, our lads have been fantastic the way that they have engaged. But like people are getting impatient and they're getting bad humoured and they need hope and they need something to look forward to. Would you be an advocate of uh, prioritising teachers for vaccination? Absolutely. And uh, I've been saying this all along uh, and I saw Neffet were talking about at the time that schools involve up to a million people between parents and grandparents and uh, all the young people involved. And with that sort of number dependent on teachers and schools being open, it just makes perfect sense for me that teachers should be vaccinated immediately to get all of the schools open. Get, get young people back into education. It's having a really seriously detrimental effect on young people, socially, emotionally, physically, and uh, uh, I suppose every other way that uh, schools provide that plat- platform for social contact. And we're social animals, and particularly young people. I think they're suffering badly. The other thing about it is that we are now putting them uh, onto uh, devices all day long. In general, I'm advocating for people to get off devices and we're forcing them onto them. So uh, I think that we'll have to wean them off that to a certain extent and get them back, get them out in the fresh air, get them moving again.
You mentioned the unions there, and of course you have been highly critical of them in the past, the uh, ASTI and the TUI. What, what's your feeling? You know, we hear the spokespeople for the unions, but members on the ground, uh, teachers who work with you, are they keen to get back? Absolutely. Uh, I'm in school every day. Teachers come in, some of them do their their classes from their rooms here because we have cameras in the room so that they can do live classes. And And they all, I think, would love to come back if schools were open tomorrow. Uh, I think people don't seem to realise that it it's placing much more work on the teacher, uh, doing the classes online, doing the corrections online, and uh, not being able to interact in the normal way with people. So it's far harder on the teachers. I think they would jump at the opportunity now. If numbers keep going down, I'd say that uh, I was hoping, as a, a, I was saying, that at least leaving certs would come back Monday week when the break. And they, the students really do need a break because it's been hard work on them and their parents need a break who have been trying to get them to do the work from home. So I certainly would be the first person to say, let's send back the leaving certs on the 22nd and then let's try and get everybody back in gradually after that. And on the Leaving Cert exam uh, last year, calculated grades, we still don't know this year what's going to happen. Uh, the uh, physical sitting of an exam, in your book, your preference? Oh, the preference for me always is is the written exam. I think uh, uh, there's absolute confusion at the moment because I think the Minister and the Department of Education are looking for everybody's views. And the more views you get, the more confusing views you get. If you say to students, would you prefer predicted grades or written exam? An awful lot of them would say predicted grades because they'd say, well, the teachers won't do me down anyway, and I'd much prefer that than doing a written exam. I still still think that the most objective assessment of students comes from a written exam. And people think this is a once-off exam and that all the marks over that. But that actually is not true. Like, you take oral Irish and oral Irish is 50% of the mark. I think it's 62 of art is uh, work done in advance in something like construction it would be 50% DCG 40% so a lot of people are under the mistaken impression that the Leaving Cert written exam in June determines everything like even history, geography, religion they're all, there's a substantial amount of marks for project work which is done in advance and uh, I still think the written exam is the best way because I think that people won't have any confidence in the predicted uh, structure after the tampering that was done at department level last year, after the schools had filled in their results and did it in good faith and saw so many changes made then afterwards. Let's watch this space. Colm, I always appreciate your time and your opinions and let's hope that the GAA get to work on reform (laughs) of the structures and that exams and the Leave Insert the schools are back soon and the leave insert happens as uh, usual uh, later on this year. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jerry. Colm O'Rourke there speaking to me earlier today. I love listening to his opinions and, uh, you know, he makes an awful lot of sense with what he says. I will draw your attention to a wonderful article in yesterday's Sunday Times, page 13 by Brenda Power. I recommend you read this article. You really should read it because... I think Brenda Power is spot on. The headline says, Teaching unions need lesson in work ethics. Brenda Power, yesterday Sunday Times, page 13. Read it 
and just absorb what she has to say. Love it, Ronnie. Ronnie McArdle sending me a lovely picture there from Dundalk today. Ten shilling note. There's a red hue out of the ten shilling. I remember that. And a one pound and a five pound note from the old money. Oh, keep them safe, Ronnie. And he has some coins as well there. Marion's been on to say, Jerry, you just make me so happy every day. I am going to try your pancakes, the savoury ones. But my favourite is pancakes, whipping cream, strawberries and a little bit of light sugar dusting on the top. Oh, Marion. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Shrove Tuesday tomorrow. We're on the build-up to it here on Late Lunch. Now, it's a huge day from a young woman. I have so much admiration for. She's former Miss Ireland. She's joined us a number of times here on Late Lunch. Chelsea Farrell gets the keys of the door today. She's 21. Congratulations, Chelsea. You are a wonderful, wonderful young woman. And we were just having a look. On the day you were born... This song was number one, and boy, have you risen and will continue to rise in life. This is for you, Chelsea. Happy birthday. Gabrielle and rise on late lunch this afternoon, especially for Chelsea Farrell, celebrating her 21st birthday today. Have a great one, Chelsea. Now, moving on on late lunch, I'm joined on the line by Alan Dowling. Hello, Alan. Hello, Jay. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining me on the show. Tell us about your brother, David, please. The story. Uh, well, the story, in short, is David went missing last Monday, the 8th of February. Um, his last scene at about 11.30 in the Ashfield Estate up at the Mel. Um, he was living on North Road, um, in a bed and breakfast there on North Road. Um, he's never not been there at night time ever since he moved in. Uh, totally out of character for him to go missing. Um, really, we're just looking for the help from the public. But they're getting great support from the guards, um, everybody, the civil defence, River Rescue. Everybody's been out really, really doing their best to help us. We really need the public now in the Mead and Drada area just to check, check around anywhere they might think that um, they haven't been in the last week. You know, sheds, barns, anything that might help us that we just haven't found ourselves because um, they've done an extensive search and we can't really locate them after half 11 on Monday night. OK, so 11.30 last Monday, a week today, in the Ashfield Estate on the North Road in Drogheda, well-known estate there, a big area, plenty of people living there. What was he wearing? Anything distinctive? Do you know at the time? Well, we do indeed. It was a very distinctive. He had a, an FAI um, football jacket, would be the best way to describe it. It was a blue, long blue jacket with the... The tree um, logo on the back, which is sponsored by the Irish football team. Um, he had grey bottoms and a grey hoodie. That the hood would have been sticking out over the top of the, the jacket. Very distinctive, uh, very easy to spot mm. as well. Yeah. Uh, um, describe him. What What is he like, height-wise, build? Yeah, yeah David was 47. He's um, about 5'8", five 5'9". Foot five, five foot Brown, short hair, um, hazel eyes. Um, he would look like anybody else to, to anybody else. Um yeah. He was uh, he was living above our road there in in a bed and breakfast. Um, he I was speaking to him on Monday twice, and half two two o'clock or half two was probably the last time we spoke to him. He left the bed and breakfast to head towards the town. There's plenty of sightings of him right through with CCTV. We've checked all that, but he's last seen in Ashfield 
at 11.30. Uh, in in the night time. In the uh, night time, PM, yeah. It, it, he, he's living, obviously, in a and b uh, What about him? Is, is he living there for a reason, or had he any he, issues? He, is. he, had, he had some uh, addiction problems. And um, at the time he, he, he left uh, on Monday, he hadn't taken his medication for, for from Thursday, which would have been the fourth. Um, he's he had a pacemaker fitted there in December, and he was on a methadone program, and it didn't agree with him, so they changed his medication to him. So he didn't really take the medication from Thursday. We found out. Um, it's 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 one of these things. It's totally out of character for him. You know, he's never he's never far from the bed and breakfast. If he is, it's two or three hours, and he's straight back to. Him. He's more of a loner, but would talk to anybody in the same breath. If you know what I mean. Yeah, so no indication. You'd spoken to him on the Monday. No indication of anything on toward at all. Usual conversation. Went about his business during the day and then for some reason headed out half an hour before midnight, 11.30pm, where he was spotted in Ashfield. You're right, Annie... You know, people living in the area, check out buildings, check your, you know, garages, sheds, whatever. And you just never know what you might come across. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're really relying on the public now. Um, social media has been great so far. Facebook, Colin Kills. My son is a member of Colin Kills there. They've done a great job with, with the social media and the Facebook, you know, 6,600 shares. Um, lots and lots of help. But it's just that one extra drive we need for someone just to, just to throw the away, as I say, even when they're walking, if there's shrubbery around where the normal person wouldn't be able to get to. Mm. He was, he, we do know that he was very confused and um, possibly depressed as well. Yeah. So we're looking at every avenue, you know. Of course, and it's a distressing yeah. time for you and the family as well. Yeah. And when somebody is missing and, and no sign and now a week has gone by and it was very cold weather, we have to say that, very oh, tough unfortunately, weather. Unfortunately, yeah. on, on the... Um, the last week has been very, very cold, which is, it's hard for anybody to help as well. But uh, I'd like to thank everybody, actually, the guards, the civil defence, River Rescue, all all the services, they're absolutely absolutely brilliant. And all we need is a little push more because the longer this goes on, the harder it gets. And, you know, it'd be great that we find them, you know, either way, we just want to find them now. Of course you do, of course you do. And this is what we really, really need. Mm. And and you never give up hope. Yeah, you never give up hope. You know you have to, you know you have to hope and believe that he is somewhere or something onto all this happened and that he will be found. But we got to find this guy, folks. If you can help at all, you heard the details there. Eleven o'clock, eleven thirty last Monday, Ashfield on the North Road on the North Side of Drogheda. David is his name. Forty-seven years of age and he's five foot eight. And if you check out LMFM Facebook page, his photograph is there. It's up on our social media. LMFM Facebook all the details are there if you get any information contact the guards give us a ring here at the station we'll put you in touch as well I wish you all the best Alan Thanks very much Jerry. thanks again and thanks to everybody for all the help Not at all you're so welcome Alan Dowling there desperately seeking his brother David my god put yourself in the shoes of somebody like that who's just disappeared into thin air no sign of them Oh, it's gut-wrenching, isn't it, to think about it? If you know anything, if you can help, please do help. We make that appeal on the Dowling family's behalf today. Late lunch, LMFM radio after the break. It's all about nutrition with Elsa Jones. Paddy Woods in touch. Cherry, I'm thoroughly enjoying the show today while I'm washing my car. You're doing great work in there. Thanks a million. Thanks for the compliments. Always appreciate them, Paddy. You can come up and do mine when you're finished your own. <laughs> Only God, and do a good job on yours. God, you want to see the state of mine already after the last week. Um, 
Um, Pat was on from Balbriggan to say, Jerry Ashbourne's demolition, Betty Stone told, full of Dublin people living there. Why don't they get their act together and try and prove themselves and stop moaning? Colin mentioned Leicester City. That was Colin O'Rourke as well as a wee while ago. So if they do it, why not Mead? They weren't moaning in Mead from '83 to '95 and from '95 to 2011. Go on, get on it. Another one there says Colin O'Rourke is 100% right. It has to change. Young people will stop playing Gaelic games in counties that are being overlooked if this continues. And that's from a loud man, an avid GAA man. Thanks, Peter. Nice to hear from you this afternoon. Now, my next guest I've spoken to in the past. I remember in particular an interview we had about her book. She's a published author. She's a nutritional therapist. The book I'm talking about was Goodbye Sugar. Well, she's back with me today for a specific reason. I'm delighted to say hello again to Elsa Jones. Elsa, hello. Hello there. Nice to talk to you again. Ah, you too. Thank you for joining me on the show. Now, top of the show today, we were talking to Shane Martin about the mood and the psychology end of things there. We're going to talk to you now about the importance of nutrition and food to being well and feeling well. You know, it's easy, Elsa, these times just to sit in and uh, chew away and (laughs) chew on bad stuff and not exercise. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, absolutely. I think... You know, particularly with this this particular third lockdown and, you know, it being winter in January, a lot of us did a lot of comfort eating and I think a lot of healthy eating habits sort of went out the window, which, you know, to a large degree is understandable. But I think the feedback I'm getting now is that people kind of, they've done the comfort eating, spring is in the air and now they really want to kind of, you know, look after themselves physically and mentally and, and diet does play a big role in that. So, right, I agree with you. January, post-Christmas, the weather's not been good. Today is lovely and the temperatures are good for the rest of the week, a bit changeable. But spring is here and the days are getting longer. What should we be looking towards in terms of nutrition and food, you know, to up the mood? OK, well, there, there are certain foods um, which are rich in nutrients, vitamins and minerals, which, which we know play a role um, in, in mood balance and supporting our body to, to handle stress and anxiety. So, for example, I always kind of talk about eating nutritionally balanced meals. So people talk about, you know, a balanced diet. And a balanced diet really starts with getting the right balance of nutrients onto your plate. And that can be really, really useful in terms of to balance out mood and help the body to deal with stress. So, for example, if you picture, let's say, a dinner plate, I always kind of recommend that we fill about one quarter of our dinner plate with what are known as complex carbohydrates. So complex carbohydrates are basically carbohydrates which break down into glucose at a slower rate. So we get kind of a slow, kind of steady energy release. Um, And also carbohydrates are thought to increase the amount of of serotonin which we have in our brain. And serotonin is is known as the happy hormone, but essentially it's, it's a neurotransmitter. Um, and carbohydrates obviously play, play a role in the release of serotonin, but not all carbohydrates are, uh, you know, have the same effect. We want to go for the complex carbohydrates, so things like, you know, uh, quinoa, um, vegetables, butternut squash, whole grains, because what they'll do is they'll give you uh, more fibre, more B vitamins, magnesium, nutrients, which help support our body deal with stress. And you'll get, um, they'll support your, your blood sugar balance and support slow, steady release of serotonin production. Um, unlike the simple carbohydrates, which we were, you know, we were talking about comfort eating, when we comfort eat, a lot of the time we tend to go for the white flour foods, the pizzas, the crackers, the cakes, the sugary sweet foods. And these types of food, whilst they're comforting, I know, they give you a quick energy release, a quick serotonin boost, 
but the effect is very short-lived. Afterwards, you get what's known as a sugar crash, and you kind of get caught in that cycle of, of craving more and more. Okay, so that's really good advice there. Now move on to protein. You say protein, we're looking at this plate now, so we have our complex carbohydrates on the plate. What about protein? Okay, so protein is very important because it helps to it helps us to stay fuller for longer and it helps to stabilise our blood sugar levels. And interesting as well is that protein is rich in the amino acid tryptophan, which also is one of the key building blocks for our serotonin production. So I would say... Pairing your protein with your complex carbohydrates in a meal is very important. So you're going to fill one quarter of your plate, let's say, with your your chicken, for example, or your fish or your eggs. Or you can use kind of more plant-based protein like, um, let's say, um, beans, lentils, nuts and seeds. So that's another one quarter of your meal. And the other half of your meal should actually be filled with non-starchy vegetables. Uh, so, for example, think of your greens, like your broccoli, um, even your cauliflower, your spinach. And those types of non-starchy vegetables are very rich in B vitamins and magnesium, which help to support mood balance and also to support our body on how to handle stress and anxiety. So they're really, really useful. OK, so that's our dinner plate sorted. And if we adopt that regime each time we sit for a main meal, we're on course. We're going to produce these uh, hormones that are going to help with our mood. Absolutely. And in terms of weight management as well, following that healthy eating plate guide um, is a really, really useful way to manage your weight and just to make sure that you're eating nutritionally balanced meals. Now, that's the main meal. Uh, A light breakfast, a break, the main meal. Are you a fan of the main meal or does it depend on your circumstances? You know, the traditional lunchtime, most people, I think, have it now around the tea time, don't they? They do, yeah. I think most of us do kind of have it sort of around the six, half six mark. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really matter too much. I mean, really, whether you're having it at lunchtime or, or in the evening time, it's still the same principle to eat, make sure it's a nutritionally balanced meal. Obviously, the later you're eating, you might want to kind of uh, go a little bit lighter in terms of maybe not eating kind of very heavy, you know, proteins, like a big, huge steak or something. Might yeah. be hard to digest at night, but the same principles apply. Good fats, very important, and uh, vitamins. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so, you know, obviously, it's, it's always food first when it comes to our nutrition. But um, supplements can be really useful in terms of kind of bridging any kind of nutritional gaps. Um, in terms of, let's say, you know, mood balance, um, nurturing your gut health is really, really important because up to ninety-five percent of our serotonin which we talked about being the happy hormone, is actually produced in the gut. So looking after your gut health is really important. And we can do that, for example, by limiting processed foods and sugary foods, by eating um, a diet that's rich in fruit and vegetables. And then also by, for example, eating kind of um, live foods. So, for example, live yogurt, which actually has friendly bacteria in it, or, or fermented foods that have live bacteria in them, like sauerkraut or kefir, or tempeh. But what I find is a lot of people aren't that familiar with those foods and they don't necessarily want to eat them. So that's where, for example, a microbiotic supplement can be really useful to help to top up the levels of friendly bacteria in your gut and to support that, you know, serotonin production and, and, and your immune system. Is there any so, you like in particular that you'd recommend? Well, I personally take Udo's Choice, the Super 8 pro- microbiotic, and it's the one I tend to, to recommend to most adults. And the reason is it contains 42 billion live friendly bacteria. 
and it also is proven to resist stomach acid, so it reaches the gut alive. And it also contains both the lacto and bifido strains because each strain offers unique benefits. So you want to kind of go for a broad strain once. That, that would be one I would recommend. You know, interesting, isn't it? Ironic, should I say, that you say that because I have a family member who's just completing a course of it after a long run with a, a high-powered antibiotic and uh, she's saying that it's terrific. Yeah, it really is. So... You're dead right. After an antibiotic, when, you know, a lot of the good bacteria in our gut has been has been flushed out, it's very important to take a microbiotic supplement. After long periods of stress, um, or for example, you know, if, if your diet isn't really, is, is a bit poor and it's, it's not that rich in, in fresh fruit and vegetables, or you're dealing with digestive issues or candida type issues, yeah, it can be really, really useful in that, in that regard. So that's Udo's Choice Super 8. Where do you stand on vitamin D? Because I've been talking about this for a number of months now and you know the debate rages on in the context of COVID. Yes, I absolutely think we should all be taking a vitamin D3 supplement. And I think it's, it's all the research really is just proving over and over again how important it is in terms of, I mean, for loads of things, you know, for, for our bone health, our immunity in relation to what you're saying about COVID. So, yeah, I think the fact, particularly in the winter months, you know, when we're not getting a huge amount of sunlight, um, particularly for the older generation who tend to be low in vitamin D. Um, in fact, really across the board, we, we, we are known to actually have quite low vitamin D levels. So I absolutely would recommend a vitamin D3 supplement um, at the moment to adults. And it goes without saying, exercise, very important. I have to leave it there, Elsa. Lovely to talk to you. Elsa Jones Nutrition.ie. That's Elsa Jones Nutrition.ie. Lots of great information there. Great to catch up with you. Wish you well. You too. Thanks, Terry. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Elsa Jones there. I remember meeting her when she published that book. It was a terrific chat we had her that day, the sugar thing as well. Anyway, plenty of good advice there for you in terms of diet and nutrition. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. If you're just with us, welcome to the show. Still to come today, my artist of the week. I'll tell you who that is after three. We're talking to a gentleman who had a very positive experience with hair restoration. And after the break... Yes, it's time for a look at life. Yeah, Burke's banter is next. Oh, Colin O'Rourke certainly does prompt uh, debate, doesn't he? There's another listener on to say, Jerry, the money is what gives Dublin the advantage. They had a similar differential in population compared to the rest of the country 30 years ago. They were winning the odd Leinster and All-Ireland. It is the money, Jerry. They've got more money than anybody else. Eddie's been on to say, what about the thousands of children in Dublin who'll never get a chance to play at top level? How many clubs around Dublin have never had a member selected for the dubs? Good point. And I think that's the point Column is making. If there was a divide in Dublin, it would give opportunity to more players at uh, maybe clubs who haven't featured in the past to play for that new county. And Rose, thank you so much for the beautiful, beautiful pictures of the crocuses in your garden today. Rose says spring has arrived. It certainly has. Now, Sinead Burke is uh, very observant of life and from time to time on late lunch, she brings these observations to you. Pride of the parish. Do you know what I think most of us need right now? A good old row. Not with our nearest and dearest though. No matter what the size of our homes, I think they all feel a bit too small at the moment. No, Deliberately inviting conflict in the door at this stage of lockdown would be a big mistake. I mean, there's the snow and we've all seen the shining. What we all need are sideline seats to a great battle. Some terrific tussle, 
that's near enough in proximity to us so we can get invested, but far enough away that we won't fall out with the neighbours. A great energetic war of which we can enjoy the fireworks, but not get singed. In times of crisis, we need something to occupy us. As a nation, we have form in creating a distraction and using it as a kind of collective therapy session. In 1987, we were seven years into what had been a tough and demoralising recession in Ireland. For diversion, Mead citizens seized upon an enthusiastic rivalry with Cork. My own mother, a respectable and decent woman, declared that she would just love to give Larry Tompkins a good kick to prevent him lining out for the rebels. Such was the anti-Cork sentiment at the time, that if Mammy's ninja moves had been needed, thankfully they weren't, I don't think she would have had a case to answer to if she had ended up in front of Judge Brophy. The mighty men of Meath won the day, and on the Monday after, it felt as if not just the primary schools, but the whole county had been given the day off to celebrate. In 1989, Ireland had the highest ever number of emigrants leaving the country looking for work. But when the World Cup finals came along the next year, we didn't dwell on the 70,000 young people working in bars in Boston. We made the best of things and rounded up every handy English young lad blessed with an Irish granny and invited them to pull on the Irish jersey. The excitement of Italian 90 ensured no credit union in Ireland was left unbothered as hopeful loan applicants from Dingle to Donegal swore blind they needed a new kitchen while trying to hide the Italian phrase book hidden in their back pocket. And we're not behind the door in seeking solace in more shadier and exotic pastimes. Areas of interest we never thought we would go to as a nation. You can blame the IMF, the crash or even the disappointed looks we had to put up with from the ECB at the time. But there's still no rational explanation as to why in 2011 we completely lost the head when Ireland started to do quite well in the Cricket World Cup. It was far from that we were reared. However, and I'm not justifying it, it really is just a fancy game of rounders. And at the time, we did need some light relief. Any Republican qualms we had about the whole exercise vanished when we ended up beating England at their own game. So where do we turn to now? The GAA is off for the foreseeable and the Olympics seem unlikely. What will be the thing to lift us out of our lockdown heads and raise spirits higher than the daily incident rate? It's staring us all in the face. A pride of the parish rivalry which has a prize just as polished as either the Sam Maguire or the Liam McCarthy Cup. But when it comes with more potential for tourism and economic opportunity. The contenders are two counties not usually known for their intense rivalry with each other. But that's all about to change. Both teams will need everything in their armoury to win the day. County councillors swollen with conviction organising civic events. The oldest man in the parish asked for their thoughts in an indulgent and slightly patronising way on Ireland AM. The local gas man altogether performing a specially composed comical song that could go viral and just wait till the ones in the historical society get involved. On behalf of all of us, sitting on the couch with nowhere to go and nothing to talk about, I say to the magnificent counties of Louth and Clare, Your nation needs your commitment, your thirst for blood and your expertise in family trees. Who will win Joe Biden? Who indeed? 
Uh, Joe Biden, uh, yes, he did here at the weekend. The Taoiseach's not going. It's a virtual uh, Patrick's Day presentation. My thanks to Sinead Burke. Burke's banter. More from Sinead on late lunch and on. Uh, can I recommend a movie to you tonight? Very good movie. I really enjoyed it. Dallas Buyers Club is on TG Car tonight. They show great movies at half past nine. Dallas Buyers Club, half nine tonight. A wonderful, wonderful movie. Midterm, how are you getting on midterm? She have a week off this week, haven't you? <laughs> have you really? They're at home. They have been at home, but there's no actually no Zoom lessons or teaching going on this week. Enjoy the break from it. Enjoy. But it's not not easy. I have to say to you, it really, really isn't. Now let me see what I have uh, coming into me here. I have lots of comment here. Um, Geraldine called and agreed 100 percent with everything Colm O'Rourke had to say on the football. It's destroyed as Dublin have so big in numbers, etc., uh, etc. Et and, uh, you know, she's concurring with him. Uh, Eileen fold in to say um, uh, there are very good young people around. She was driving up the Dublin road yesterday and got a puncture in the rain and a young lad was out running. And he stopped, took my spare wheel out of the boot, changed the wheel and got me on the road again. Also, two other young lads stopped uh, uh, as well to help out. So a big thank you to all of them. Isn't that good? Wouldn't that just lift your spirits today? Well done. And thank you, Eileen, for letting us know. That's a real good news story, isn't it? Uh, Helping that lady in distress there to change her wheel yesterday. Congratulations to you. Uh, And uh, well done. It just shows you the spirit that's out there among young people. Reminding you that if you love country music, be sure to check out our dedicated online country radio station, LMFM Country. They're all there. Johnny Cash, Nathan Carter, Mike Denver and more. Darren Mann, Paul McKenna, bringing you the best in country, just great country, every single day. And remember, you can tune in now on the LMFM app or on lmfm.ie. Also, I wanted to mention to you this. um, Jack Keevney had a fall uh, in the bath. He's from Betty St. Jack Keevney. He had an accident in the bath six days ago that resulted in damage to his leg. And he went, uh, he goes to get a routine eye injection to the matter. And his next appointment is the 26th of February. And he's looking for the lend of a wheelchair. This man, he's a lovely man. The lend of a wheelchair. He has tried the HSE, uh, but they haven't come back to him. And he's tried other places as well. The Irish Wheelchair Association can't help. Is there anybody out there that can loan Jack Keevney, a wheelchair to go to the Matter Hospital for a regular appointment this week. We have Jack's number here. Can you help? Surely there's somebody out there with a wheelchair that's not in use. He has to go. He had an accident, needs the wheelchair to go to the Matter on the 26th of February. Can you help us? 1850-715-958 or you can message me now if you have a wheelchair 086-1800-658 WhatsApp or text me. We'd love to help Jack. And I know that some of you out there, well, all of you out there are very good and try to help as much as you can. Is there a wheelchair? Let us know, please. Now, coming up on Late Lunch after three, it's my Artist of the Week. When I tell you that he died tragically on the 12th of October 1997, he was probably the biggest selling artist of the 1970s. Oh, he was just massive at that time. I went to see him in the 80s in Dublin, and I'm glad I did. 300 albums, rakes of hit singles, Henry John Dutchendorf. 
Who am I talking about? He's my artist of the week. Stay with us on Late Lunch. You'll find out after news, sport and weather at three. I have to say, Late Lunch listeners are so good, so kind. Thank you so much. I mentioned Jack Keaveney there uh, before news that he was seeking the loan of a wheelchair to make a hospital appointment on the 26th of February in the matter. My, oh my, we've had so many offers. It's fantastic, it really is. Thank you to you all. I won't single out anybody uh, in person there, but thank you to everybody who has called in, WhatsApped, or texted me to the show uh, with the offer of a wheelchair. There's even two people there saying, not alone will we give that gentleman the wheelchair, we'll deliver it to his home. <laughs> Isn't that just kindness personified? Well done to all of you and thank you again. We have Jack sorted out now for sure. Just shows you we can do it here. If you're in trouble with anything, give us a shout. We'll try and work it out for you, as the Beatles say. And again, reminding you once more uh, this week to support local businesses. We need to, folks. They're the heart of our communities. They need our support at this time more than ever. Many local businesses are online now. So if you're buying online, look local first. If you're out and about, check out local. Because remember, in our villages, towns and counties here in the northeast, they employ our family members, our friends and our neighbours. And they will do beyond this time. So support local when you go shopping online or in person at this time. And thank you on behalf of all the businesses here in the northeast. Now, who is my featured artist of the week? He was born on the 31st of December. He just didn't make a New Year, baby. 1943, he'd be 77 if he were alive today. His father was a military man in the United States. He was a very strict man, the dad. Oh, he really was. And he moved frequently for work. So you see, my featured artist could never put down roots, never make friends. He was shy, introverted, but music was his saviour when his granny gifted him a guitar at the age of 11. He started playing local clubs while attending college and changed his name on the advice of a friend called uh, Randy Sparts from Dutchendorf. Dutchendorf was his surname to Denver. Yes, John Denver is my featured artist of the week. He dropped out of college in 1963, moved to LA where he was a popular turn on the folk club scene. He joined the Mitchell Trio, another folk group, in 65. Stayed with them until 69, but really he felt restricted. So he went solo and he released his first album called Rhymes and Reasons, from which this song made number one in the States and two in the UK. John Denver. There's an irony, isn't there, in playing that song today, the way we're all so constricted when it comes to travel. God, I dream of the day I'll be leaving on a jet plane again to go on holidays like many of you out there. But we just can't at the minute and we have to understand that and abide by that. We really, really do. But that's John Denver there leaving on a jet plane from his first album. A number of people in touch already to say looking forward to John Denver and his songs all this week. Jerry, thank you indeed for the messages. In fact, I saw him on the 23rd of March 1997 in the Point Depot in Dublin. I had a front row seat. I was in the very front row. I could nearly touch him, to be honest with you, at the stage. And it was a sellout. And he was wonderful. Jeepers, little did we think he'd lose his life just months later on the 12th of October 1997. Shocking and a huge loss he was. But we continue the John Denver story in his memory on late lunch tomorrow afternoon. You might remember last week we spoke about hair restoration. It was a very interesting interview with an expert in the field. And subsequent to that, my next guest called in to say, I had a really 
positive experience, which we're going to hear about next. Breaking news. We have a new presenter of Countdown. You know how much I love Countdown. I watch it every evening after I have my tea. I never miss it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yes, history will be made. Anne Robinson. Yes, you remember Anne? Uh, She is the new uh, host of Countdown. Nick Hewer is retiring. Anne Robinson gets the gig. So it's women all the way, all the way on Countdown now. Susie Dent, Rachel Riley and Anne Robinson in the hot seat. I know we have lots of of Countdown fans out there. (laughs) Now, I want to mention to you as well a a lovely story and say well done to Garda Barbara Kelly, Community Garda Barbara Kelly from Ashbourne Garda Station and Sergeant Alan Keane because they've come to the rescue of Jimmy Morden. Jimmy lost his independence when his bicycle became beyond repair. He's 81 years young, Jimmy, and he lives in his own in Bettystown. When the guardy heard about it, the two guards, Alan and Barbara, they set to work and well done to popular bike mechanic Pat Donnelly, who has donated and given free gratis to Jimmy a reconditioned model and he's delighted with it. Isn't that a real good news story on this Monday afternoon as well? Well done to all concerned. And uh, we've had a call back in from Jack about the wheelchair. Jack needing a wheelchair to go to the matter. We have him sorted and he's just been on to say thanks. Jack, so welcome. Anything we can do to help. That's what we're here for on LMFM Radio. Now, again, uh, just reminding you last week, I spoke to an expert in the field of hair loss and hair restoration. And following on from that, my next guest, who we'll call John, called in to tell us about his experience, which I want him to relate to you now. Afternoon, John. Can you hear me there? You have me there. Thanks for joining me on the show. Now, you were listening to the interview last last week and obviously prompted you to get in touch with us. Tell us your story. When, when did you start to suffer a hair loss? At what age? Uh, well, I suppose, uh, yeah, probably in the last maybe three or four years. Um, more of a maybe receding rather than hair loss, receding from the front. So there are kind of maybe... Three different types. You'd have your type A, which is me, receding from the front. You'd have type B, which would be kind of receding on a ball patch. And then type 3 or type C would be like the two of them put together. So there's around three types, and I was kind of type A. So yeah, um, I noticed that I kind of looked into uh, hair restoration clinics in Ireland, looked in abroad, uh, joined some groups on Facebook, and kind of got some information from that. As well as that, I had friends who kind of went through the process and I got information off them and kind of went from there. So uh, that's kind of, yeah, my story. Mm. So from the front, it's moving back. Why did you want to restore the hair? You know, we talked about this. You heard us the other day teasing it out with the expert himself. Was it a confidence thing? Was it just the way you looked? What What? What made you go ahead with this and said, I'm going to sort this out? Um, yeah, no, it's... Um, I was just kind of looking at photos, as you said, and maybe in the last kind of four, three or four years, uh, I noticed maybe that I was receding. Uh, you can see it from maybe when you turn your head down and face the mirror. Um, I was receding from the front. So, um, yeah, I'm just looking at old photos and maybe yeah, a bit of confidence too. And as regards being a candidate of how the operation actually works, mm. uh, I would have been an ideal candidate for that. OK, so you you went to the UK? Yeah, I went to the UK. Um, 
obviously I would have got it done in Ireland. Um, but as regards money, um, it's up around the ten thousand mark. Um, for to get it done in Ireland, where in the UK it was around six. If you go down then to Turkey, you're talking maybe two or three. Mm. So but a... you can see uh, stories and that you see them from Turkey, and there's no standards as such or medical standards in kind of Turkey. So uh, there could be a few cowboys there, like and stuff. Whereas in England there are standards, in Ireland there are standards. Um, and I, I went to England, I suppose, money-wise, and the fact they had a friend a friend that went before me, and his operation was very successful, so uh, I kind of went on that as well. Makes sense, and you're right. Nothing against the Turkish people. I'm sure there are wonderful uh, operators there as well, but it's far away. If anything goes wrong, the follow-up, you had no experience of it, so you went a route that was familiar. So what happened? What did they do to restore your hair? What did the procedure involve? Yeah, so... Uh, Obviously, it, it took place there um, last July. So, was I going over for an essential purpose surgery? Uh, you could say so. Um, but, yeah, I went over and uh, I did the two-week kind of prior, uh, I suppose, interview to look at you to kind of see, to tell you how many graphs that you might need and uh, mine was about three and a half thousand graphs. Okay. So that turns out to be around ten thousand hairs. And they take the, they take them from the back of your neck, is it, and move them up? Yeah. So you're they give you maybe a few sedatives to help you relax and maybe fall asleep. Mm. Uh, for for the process ex- itself took ten hours. So uh, I was kind of there for about ten hours, probably awake for ninety percent of that time. Like, and mm. um, you're down flat on your back in kind of like a massage chair you're there for maybe three to four hours while they take the hair out of the back of your head then I kind of broke for lunch for maybe half an hour and uh, 40 minutes and then for the rest of the day which would probably be about another five six hours they're placing the hair to the front of your head so 10 hours in total, a long day, uh, you're awake for most of the procedure, but it's all done in that time, as you said, with uh, quite a bit of time beforehand preparing for this and going through that's all involved. How long did it take before, uh, so they let you home then, you didn't have to return, was that it, one visit? Uh, yeah, one visit, one visit, and maybe there's the two-week follow-up. Yeah. Um, well, you just like, you have to mind it, obviously, in the first two weeks and try not to bang your head and stuff. I did bang my head like maybe once mm. and I might have lost maybe a few hairs in that situation but you have to mind the kind you have to spray it and stuff like that and make sure you don't get let it get affected or yes. stuff, things like that yes. but uh, I suppose how far then would I, would I have seen progress uh, probably around the six month mark I started to notice a good bit of progress and then maybe from the last two months I'm about month eight now at the minute uh, the last two months yeah I'd say I'm probably up towards about 60, maybe 60, 70% of um, how it should look. And then obviously nine months to about 18 months is kind of your 100%. And that's um, how good it'll look. As well as that, I suppose, what, what I'm taking. Uh, I, I don't know if, you, if the person who was on last week mentioned about the drug uh, Finistrate, which stops hair loss as well. Yeah. I'm taking that, that drug. And... Um, but the only problem, again, with that is um, there's kind of between, there's 
a few problems with that that people experience side effects and the side effects uh, can relate, can be things such as maybe small bit of depression or uh, erectile dysfunction. So I think that's only 1% to 5%. And I think people are reluctant to take it uh, with that. But I have found no side effects now myself. Okay, so good news, positive all the way, highly recommended, and you're a happy man. Yeah, a uh, happy man going forward now. I recommend it to, to anyone. And uh, I think the one thing is, and people always say it, is that you didn't do it sooner, you know. Well, look at better late than never and you have lots of life and living to do ahead of you. John, I leave it there. Thank you for joining me on the show today and telling your story. Good luck to you. All right, thank you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Great story there and it has worked out well for that gentleman. That's a lot on late lunch this first day of the new week. Monday, tomorrow, yes, I'm sure Professor Paul Moyner will be chatting to us early on in the show. We hear from a business. Two young women in Mead set it up a year ago. They joined me here in the studio. What a year to start a business. We've the follow-up for you tomorrow to see how they've got on. And more besides coming your way on the show tomorrow afternoon. Eddie's here next with The Drive. Have a lovely evening. See you tomorrow. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and deliver only through our website, blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.